Good morning. You're awake for me anyway. It's good. And I can preach whatever I like. Here we go. Let's turn to the book of Revelations. Not a hope. Sorry. It's good to be with you once again. There are some. It's funny, I take these off for a reason. I can't see you when I'm up here preaching, so it takes away the nerves. So you could be making faces at me, doing whatever, and I would never know. So, but sitting in the back looking forward, I noticed a few unfamiliar faces that I haven't seen before. My name's Merv. I'm a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, which coming from there this morning after dropping my wife and kids off to here was quite an escapade. We had a marathon through the middle of the city as an Irishman in a big town, not knowing where he is. How the heck do you get from IBC to 80? Do you go through the marathon runners? Do you go, do you call an Uber? You put it in your maps and it tells you you're going to get here at 10 past 10 and you're going, do you text and let them know you're late? What do you do? Well, you pray and suddenly it goes rerouting and it says 9.47. Sweet! Take that route. So we're here in due time. But I am from Emmanuel and we bring you greetings. I bring you greetings from our church. You've had the big tall German man with a bald head. Seems to be a common thread or what's going at the minute. Seems to be the whole hip thing to do, even if you've got hair, to shave it off anyway. But we really do love coming here to open up God's Word. Um, it is a privilege to stand before you here and bring forth the good tidings of great joy. This morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. It was um, kind of softly persuaded that our theme this morning would be love. There is a little bit of love in Daniel chapter 6 in the lion's den. <laughs> but I kind of struggled to get, you know, a lot of love. There's love in the lions because they didn't eat him. There was obviously love in God because he didn't let Daniel get mauled. But yeah, it was a little bit of a stretch. And of course, being the season that it is, it's always good to focus our minds again upon our Lord Jesus Christ and his miraculous birth. Our brother did read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Can I take one of these? Is that okay? Thanks. See that, an Irishman getting a free gift? It's awesome. <laughs> if you all come to the front, you get a free booklet. No, it's all right. We are going to look primarily at verses 26 to 38. But if you are taking notes and you want a title for a sermon... What a lovely name. What a lovely name. Verse 31 says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's come to our God and let's pray to him now before we open up his word. Our great and our glorious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning on this year day and at this year hour to open up your precious word. 
We do thank you and praise you for giving this one day in seven where we can set aside the things of the world and to focus our minds upon you and upon what you and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing through us and in us this day. Dear Lord, we praise you for the songs that we've been able to sing, how we can sing praises to our great God who came as a little babe, who rose into a man, who died the death on the cross, and who rose again to overcome sin. When we think of these things, our hearts, dear Lord, are bursting forth with joy and adoration. And yet, dear Lord, we come and we also confess that at this time of year, our eyes at times can be far from you. Our hearts can be caught up in temporal things, things of this earth. Dear Lord, this morning, help us with only your help to redirect our minds upon your Son, to redirect upon our, your, our, our minds upon his lovely name that name that is above every name. Dear Lord, we pray for the saints here in Veritas that you, through your word, would build them up, that you would encourage their hearts this very day. For those, dear Lord, who do not know you, it is with fear and anguish in our hearts that we plead before you this day, save their souls. Bring them to a right understanding of who you are and what you sent your son to this earth to do, to save sinners. Dear Lord, bless our time now, for we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. I need to unlock my phone to get to Wikipedia for a reason. If I was to ask you this morning, what is the meaning of your name? Actually, raise your hand if you know what the meaning of your name is. Oh, that's quite impressive. Good. Now, if I was to ask you, what is the meaning of Mervyn, which is my name, those of you who raised your hands, would you know, as I'm not asking those, because obviously if you didn't raise your hand, you don't really care what your name means. Really? Come on. In a day and generation where we buy DNA kits to see where we're from, we should know what our name is. Okay. The meaning of Mervyn, I go by Merv, Merv. I have had a lot of names since I've moved to the States. The worst is when you go to Starbucks and you call yourself a different name because they don't get Mervyn right. And then you forget the name that you've put down on <laughs> and your coffee gets cold. Yeah, it's not good. Okay, the meaning of Mervyn is lover of the sea. Or the one I really like, which you should all be in awe of, is famous friend. So this morning, you know a famous friend. Not that I'm anything to write home about, but there you go. Okay. Names. They mean a lot. When your son or daughter is disobedient, do you call them by the dog's name? Sometimes you do. If my mother listens to this sermon, I'll get in trouble. But when I was growing up, with all the medication she had to take, sometimes she forgot what my name was, and I had many names. So I just came to whatever it was called, because being an only child, there was no one else going to run. So it was me or the dog. So, But a name 
is so vitally important. A famous hymn writer penned the following words, There's a name above all others, wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer. It is the lovely name of Jesus, evermore the same. What a lovely name. This morning I want to draw our attention to what the angel said to Mary. That little woman who I have no idea went on in her, what went on in her mind. Do you ever actually put on those glasses and sit down and think, what would it have been like for an angel to appear to me? And t- now, he wouldn't have appeared to me, but appeared to my wife, but appeared to a lady and said, hey, you're going to conceive, but I haven't a husband. No, you're still going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son. And it's not any son. Mary was told by that angel and the amazing news that she, a virgin, would give birth to the Son of God. When the angel came to Mary, he told her the name. If you're a parent, that is one of the hardest things to do, is name your child. Some people get it in an hour and you're thinking, what in the world? Others agonize for months, whatever. That's why we get nine months. Yeah. Some of us sit on our seats and we look at our bookshelves this way and we go, Churchill, no. Spurgeon, no. Gribbon, sure, that'll do. Boom, done. But a name is so important. The angel give the very name Jesus. The angel also visited Joseph um, some months later to tell him the exact same things, if we can recount that message in Matthew when it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for she that is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. After the baby was born, eight days later, Mary and Joseph took him to be circumcised. And on that day, they obeyed the voice of the angel and they called him Jesus. Luke 2.21 says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was Jesus which was also named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. At this time of year, and I don't know about you, but me standing here this very week, what I'm about to preach to you shook me to my very core. I made mention in my prayer of taking our eyes off the things of Christ and focusing him on the things of the world. Thanksgiving wasn't even over, and I was already on the Walmart website. Just being honest. Four o'clock, boom, sales. Irishman doesn't like to spend a lot of money. If I can get money off, I'll take it. And I sat on Thanksgiving Day 
scrolling. And then you wake up the next morning and ping, Black Friday. It is black because of sheer darkness. And again, you start to scroll. You wake up, your eyes open, you lift your phone, not to hit the ESV Bible app. No, what's Amazon got on sale today? And then Friday, you take your lovely bride out for a day away. And what is it consumed by? Not really. Well, we did enjoy one another. But we get herded into that ethos of, man, we got to get presents, we got to get gifts, we got to do this, we got to do that. What for? I came home Friday night and I wept. I'm an emotional guy at the best of times, but it really hit me to my very core when I thought, man, all week I have been thinking about the precious name of Jesus and what it means, and yet I'm not living a life that is leading up to that. You see, Jesus and his name tells us a lot about who he is, about what he came into this world to do. And this morning, I want to preach on his lovely name. If you're taking notes, there are four points, and I promise this will be a brief sermon. I've been accused of having the longest sermon ever known to Veritas Church. I might break it today and see how I get on. No, I'm just kidding. Purposely, we're only on 10 pages today, not 20 pages of notes, okay? So we got four points. First one. His name declares his identity. His name declares his identity. Verse 32 says, He is the Son of God. Okay? He shall be called the Son of the Highest. This baby wouldn't be like any other baby. He would be the Son of God. The eternal Son of God. The one who existed with His Father in eternity past. Don't always just read, you know, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. Go to John 1. John 1, for me, is the greatest story ever. We can, we can focus upon Christ's birth, and, and, and that's great. But John 1 declares exactly who He is where he was and what he will do. The ancient prophecy of Isaiah would be fulfilled in that very person of Jesus when it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And praise God he is. You see, that's who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God in human flesh. Our God sent His Son to this earth as a babe. He had skin like us. Okay, this stuff that's over everything, He was like that. 
He didn't look like the Vidal Sassoon salon person with the wispy hair and everything. Think of people in those days, what they looked like. Short, Middle Eastern people, okay? He wasn't this seven-foot goddess type person, okay? But he came as a babe. You see, when you say the name of Jesus, you're naming the name of God. Understand that. You see, also in verse 32, we see that he indeed is the king of Israel. Not sure in your Sunday school, but in ours, we spent a full year going through the Old Testament. Did you ever try to teach the Old Testament to a seven and eight-year-old? Whew! And then they give you Leviticus to teach in one week? Come on. Really? You got to read it and know it, but because they ask you questions that you're going, okay, ask your mommy and daddy, because I don't know. But <laughs> the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. We like to tell them in Sunday school that the promises that God said in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the New. By who? Jesus. An eight-year-old can understand that. An eight-year-old can understand that the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David when we read it clearly in verse 32 of Luke 1. The baby is born to humble people of humble means. Wasn't this flash parents with a cool house? They didn't even have a house. He would be the direct descendant of King David. More than that, he would be the fulfillment of King David. A thousand years earlier in 2 Samuel, this child is spoken of. This one who would come, who would sit on the throne of David, who would be crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is the baby we worship today. One day, this king will return. And he will return with a rod of iron. I joked about preaching through Revelation. Revelation 19.15 says, A rod of iron. Did you ever get beaten with a rod of iron? I have. I tell you, it's not pleasant. And that's just a physical body. You see, when you say the name of Jesus, you're calling the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's a fulfillment of all the prophecies. This is how we know that the Bible is true. How on earth can they write in the Old Testament of one to come? They even tell the very name that he's going to be called. They tell what he's going to do and it happens. Listen, I don't even know what's going to happen in an hour. Neither do you, but God does. It says, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. This phrase even reaches back farther than David to the days of Jacob. Think about this when it says in Genesis 49, Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, it says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and to, unto him shall he gather the people 
of everyone. That's our God. That's your God. That's Jesus. Remember as he lay dying, the old patriarch Jacob or told Judah that his descendants would be the rulers of all the world. Now, does that mean he was going to rule everywhere? For a time, but that would end. But the supreme ruler came. The one who every knee will bow to. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you're sitting on a gray chair, that's everyone in case you hadn't realized, you will bend the knee to Jesus. Whether you want to or whether you don't, it'll happen. And if that's a wake-up call to you this morning, so let it be. Christ came as a babe, as the Savior of sinners, but He's coming back with a rod of iron to judge. He's not coming back as a little, little babe once again. He's going to come back as the ruler and the King of kings. When you say the name of Jesus, you're talking about the one who perfectly, and I mean perfectly, fulfilled all the ancient prophecies. Everything that we read off of Christ in the Old Testament, He fulfilled. And He's still fulfilling it. He's also the champion of humanity. The angel said, He shall be great. That word means to be great in importance or in estimation. No other birth in human history was as monumental as the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you were born, did shepherds show up? Thank goodness. What a mess that would have been. When you were born, did the Magi show up with Gifts given to you. When you were born, did the heavenly hosts leave heaven and come to this earth and sing praises for your birth? There has never been a birth like the Lord Jesus Christ's. When He came into, the, into this world, He took the place as the greatest of the great. There hasn't been anyone greater, and there never will be. You see, the first man, Adam, was a miracle, okay? Because he was made in the image of God, and because God formed him from the dust of the ground. And God breathed into his very nostrils life. But that man sinned. The first Adam sinned. And he brought sin and death and condemnation to all descendants, including you and including me. Adam brought shame. Adam brought disgrace. And we know, reading in Genesis, that a curse fell upon the world. Now, if we closed our Bibles at the beginning of Genesis 3. What a sad day that would be. But you see the second Adam. The one greater than the one who was formed from the dust of the ground. Who 
life was breathed into his nostrils. The one who breathed life into his nostrils is the second Adam, the one who created the first. You see, everything that Adam broke when Jesus was born, it was brought back in to realization of who God was. Jesus is God made in the image of man. When Jesus was born, he was without sin. I wish my children were born without sin. I have a 19-month-year-old, and I tell you, maybe he has learned a few things from me, but man, he's into everything. He loves opening the dishwasher when it's running. He loves running around with knives from the dishwasher. You're like, what in the world? Oh, man. Okay. Jesus was born without sin. Sinless. Have you ever tried to wrap your head around that? Don't do it for too long because smoke will come out your ears and it'll not be good. But actually stop and think about that. Jesus was sinless. We can't even go 60 seconds without sinning. For being honest, some of you don't even want to be here. You'd rather be out that, or maybe over there eating donuts and coffee. But if we're being honest, we all sin, but Christ came into the world and he was sinless. That is why he is the greatest of the great. In his death, he died for sin. The second Adam was a greater miracle than the, very, than the first Adam because he caused light to shine into darkness. He caused life to spring from death. He caused salvation for us here this morning. You're here because of Jesus. Jesus is indeed the champion of all humanity. And when you say the name of Jesus you should be talking about your hero. We can have many heroes in life. We can even have heroes of the faith. But as believers, Christ needs to be at the top of that list. He needs to be our all and our everything. So if his, first of all, if his name declares his identity, then second of all, if you're taking notes, his name declares his poverty. In verse 26 and 28 the, through 28, the Bible tells us that the angel came to this young maiden girl named Mary. And we know that she was engaged to Joseph, who was a carpenter by trade. Do you know any rich carpenters? Oh, whoops. <laughs> Multi-million rich? Darn it. Does he have billions? <laughs> There's always one that hackles from the crowd, isn't there? May the Lord bless you, brother. <laughs> In Jesus' day, carpenters were not rich. They might be today, but back then they weren't. I should have just started with that, okay? But for all of us here this morning, I want us to understand something. We've heard these things many times. Let's be honest. 36 probably got 
knowledge about when I was three, could understand things. So you take 33 years at Christmas, we hear the same thing. But 33 years, we need to hear it. Why? Because we're like a sponge. We forget and we, we leak. Christ Jesus was poor. He came into a family of meager means. If Joseph opened up his wallet, it'd be dollar bills, not fifties. When we examine his birth, we learn that he was born in a manger. We all like those little nativity scenes where we put Jesus in the little crib. Do you realize how stinking that place was? How vile that was? If you ever get to go to a farm, do me a favor. Take your kid, go into the pig den, and lay it in the middle. You laugh, but I, I mean, I'm serious. That is what Christ came into. There was no luxuries. It was a stinking, cold, wet, probably dirty hole that he was born into. It wasn't like your lovely Christmas cards where it all looks pretty and half the doors are open and the stars are twinkling and everything else. It was a stinking manger. There was no room for them at the inn. You ever been till an inn? If you ever go to the UK, go till an inn about one o'clock in the morning and see if you'd like to give birth to a child in it. So he goes from an inn where there's no room to what they think is the next best thing, this manger that's absolutely terrible. And that's where your Savior was born. The one who you came to worship this morning was born in a dirty, stinking, rotten manger. He left, and we have no idea what heaven is like. But all the grandeur, all the gold, emeralds everywhere. Man, I love that. Must be an Irish thing in them. Emeralds. Okay, you ever seen an emerald? Love them. Okay, there's emeralds everywhere. There's all these precious jewels. He left that to come to that for you. Amen. You see, the, the ancient inn was a horrible place. It's where poor travelers, not rich people, but people who didn't have a lot of money, could seek lodging for the night. Those who had wealth, like the carpenters, <laughs> which would seek rent or shelter in more affluent places. They wouldn't be even found dead in the inn. Christ couldn't even get in the inn to be born. He was born in a manger. That is a, you have to understand that that is used for your knowledge. It's not just how oh, he was born in a manger. There's a meaning why he was born in the manger. So that you would understand that Christ left everything to come to nothing for you to save your soul. It was there that Mary labored. Man, have you ever been in the labor ward? Man, I love my wife. She's my second hero. Because after giving birth to three kids, she can do anything. But imagine you're Joseph. Imagine you're standing there and you're the head of this home and 
this lady and this woman who's lying there is given birth in a dirty, stinking hole, and you can't even provide. And the next thing, you hear the cry. And the baby's born. And you know what that's like, parents, when you hear that first cry and they say, everything's okay. The joy that washes over. You see, the name Jesus, His name is associated with His poverty. Christ sacrificed everything for you. It reminds us that while He indeed was the creator of all things while He lived here, He possessed nothing. Okay? Everything was given to Him by others. He lived off the gifts of other people. He borrowed a boat from which he could preach from. He borrowed a house in Matthew six fourteen in which he lived. He borrowed a donkey in which he rode into Jerusalem on. He borrowed a room in which he celebrated the Passover. He borrowed a tomb in which he was buried. Christ gave up His claims to all things that we might be given all things. He who made it all, the one who was willing to leave heaven, laid it all down so that people like you and like me could have everything. Through Christ's poverty, we are rich. So if his name declares his identity and his name declares his poverty, thirdly, his name declares his ministry. The angel tells Mary that his name shall be Jesus. This name means Jehovah is salvation. What a name. His name declares his ministry to this world. His name tells us why He came. Matthew 1, 21 says, And he shall, you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. He wasn't even born yet, and He had a purpose. How could this baby accomplish the salvation of His people? He would accomplish it by going to the cross. By taking our place. Where he would be judged by God. For us. At this time of year we focus our minds upon that little cooing baby in the manger. And we forget that one day he'll hang upon a cross. For us. And yet we get wrapped into all the riffraff of the day. Jesus didn't come into this world to teach, though no one ever taught like him. Jesus didn't come into this world to heal, though he healed every sickness that he ever encountered. Jesus didn't come into this world to raise the dead, though he broke up every funeral that he ever attended. Do a study on that. 
Jesus didn't come into the world to perform miracles, though he accomplished many, many during his time upon this earth. Jesus came into the world for one purpose and one purpose only, to save his people from their sins. When you read through the Gospels, don't look at it with rose-colored glasses. Oh, he healed another person. What does that show that he is the ruler of all things? He is the one who can heal the sick. He is the one who can raise the dead. He is the one who can do turn the water into wine. Whoop-de-doo. That all shows us that he is power and dominion over everything. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Every second that Jesus lived, from we hear of his birth in that manger, every second was wrapped up in getting to the point when he cried, it is finished. When he yielded up his spirit on that cross, his purpose was fulfilled. When he lay dead in that tomb, many thought, what in the world is going on? It's all over. And then up from that grave, he arose. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for who? For you and me. That babe in the manger, that one who we all coo and coo over and you know, have little nativity scenes, didn't stay there. Praise the Lord, he didn't. He grew up, and he died, and he rose again, and he's now at the Father making intercession for us. I am come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. When we say the name of Jesus, we're calling to mind that great price he paid to save us. We are remembering his boundless, his unconditional love. Remember, it's all of love. When we take a deep breath and we say the name of Jesus, we should be remembering the sacrifices he made on our behalf. God loved us so much that he bore our sins in our place. And this morning, if you're here and you think, Merv, what in the world are you talking about, son? I thought Christmas was all about presents and gifts and, you know, Christmas cards and all the rest and trees and getting another bauble for the tree and LED lights. And lights around the house. I got kids to worry. I'm wrapped in it too. But if you're thinking, isn't that what Christmas is all about? You're mistaken. The world has taken the birth of Christ and changed it for what they want. Selling stuff. It's all about money. On Christmas morning, I want you to do something. 
want you to get out of your bed, get on your knees, think of the cross. Before you ever go down the stairs, if you live in a two-storied house or if you're in a bungalow and you run down the, the, the hallway, stop. And this goes for all of us. There are many times when we, can, we as Christians can get wrapped up in the temporal things of this world. You're looking at the biggest Christmas lover in front of you. I play Christmas music in July. And I'm not ashamed to say it. But we all have the tendency to turn our eyes away from Christ. If we're being honest, we all have the tendency to get caught up in the whole emotion of what this time of year means. And listen, I mean no disrespect to anyone. I love Christmas probably more than anyone sitting in this room. So I have to check my heart. I have to remember why Christ came to this earth. He came to save me from my sins, not give me presents under the tree, not give me that bicycle that I wanted, not give me the new latest iPhone that everyone else has, so I have to have it. He came to give you the greatest gift you could ever be given, and that is salvation. But this morning, what will you do with that gift? Some of you will do what my kids when they get clothes for Christmas. <laughs> Chuck it over their head. What do I want that for? Irks me. Will you do that with Christ? Will you spurn the one who left heaven to die on a cross for you. What will you do with him? Some of you will keep him in that manger. Some of you will look at him as a babe, and that's all he is. That babe is coming to bring you to judgment. That babe will make you bend your knee before him. You will give an account of your life all that was given to you by him. The things we have are not ours. We're just stewards of it. We will give an account for everything that we have. I was standing in Marshall's on Friday. And the one in, actually it was over here. It was in Roseville. I went to Bass Pro first. Manly thing to do, you know. <laughs> what a disaster. <laughs> but went to Marshall's and I literally, I'd been reading this, this in the morning and I literally stood there and I looked. I just stopped. People, I could have got arrested for like people watching whatever else, but I didn't really care. And I just stood there and I looked and I counted. There's another soul. There's another soul. There's another soul. 127 people I counted in five minutes will give an account to God of their lives. And a tear formed in my eye. And my wife goes, what's wrong? And I went, I'll tell you later. Every one of us has a soul that will never die. Given to you by God. 
But that soul will give an account of what you have done with your life. I'm 36. I never thought I'd be 36. Seriously, I still think I'm 21. There are people older than me. He has you even prayed this morning are getting near the end of their life. It's you young people that I really want to talk to you right now. I once was your age. Okay? Some people still think I'm only 12 years old because I've got such young-looking features. <laughs> Remember, famous friend. Okay? That's who I am. So you're talking to a famous friend. Some of you think you will never grow up. Some of you might never grow up, let's be honest. Me, still a big kid, really never grew up. But you will grow up, and you will be like your mummies and daddies. You will find someone that you really like, and you'll marry them, and you'll fall in love with them, hopefully before you get married. I got that the wrong way around. But you'll fall in love, and you will get married, and then you will live together in a big home somewhere. But what will your life be? What will the purpose of your life be? Will it be to be a rich carpenter? Will it be to be a general manager? Will it be to be a bank manager? Will it be to be, I don't know, a soccer player? We've got a few reactions at soccer player. I think that's, that's where we're going, okay? So you play soccer for 15 years. And then, oh, what happens? The cod liver oil doesn't work anymore. You get old, your joints don't work, and you have to retire. And then what? You get older. Every year comes, you have a birthday, and you blow out another candle until there's more candles than the cake can hold. And at that point, it's just one big one right in the middle, and then you don't have the energy to blow it out. But you get older, and you get older, and then you get really old, where your hair falls out. <laughs> There's always one. And your hair falls out. And then you sit in a seat for long periods of time, and no one really looks at you. And that breaks my heart to think of old people who we don't care of, but no matter... We get older, and we're sitting there for days, and we can't do anything. And then the next thing, we die. What was your life for? What was the purpose of your life? Was it to be the greatest soccer player that's ever been known? Where are some of those famous soccer players now? They're in a hole in the ground. Where are some of the most famous carpenters in all the world who built all those lovely things over in Paris and in London? They're dead and they're in the ground. And for each and every one of us sitting here this morning, we too, unless the Lord returns, will die and end up in the ground. But I ask you this morning, what will people write below your name on your headstone?
Will it be lover of God or will it be lover of self? Will it be he treasured the name of Jesus or will it be he trampled it underfoot? Will it be that the one who came from on high and was born in a manger is the one who you will worship and adore? Or will you take his name on your lips as a swear word and have nothing to do with him? You see, Christ didn't just lay there. He grew up. He was a boy. Became a man. Lived a life. And he died for you and for me. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, he came to die for you. The jailer cried out when that earthquake happened, what must I do to be saved? It's my prayer this morning that some of you young people will do the same. What must I do to know this Jesus? What must I, what must I do to have his lovely name upon my heart? Believe. Believe and turn to him. You see, Christ's name gave us his identity it gave us his poverty. It gave us his ministry. And, thir and fourthly, the greatest of all, it declares his glory. The angel tells Mary that her son will reign. The word refers to a king or one who, rule, who rules in majesty. He is going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. You see, some looked at him and saw a poor Jewish carpenter. Some looked at him and saw a revolutionary man who would stir up the people. Some looked at him and saw a healer. Think of the tomb of Lazarus, bringing the dead to life. Looked at him and saw an earthly king. Looked at him and saw an innocent man as Pilate saw him. Looked at him and saw the Son of God, the righteous man. Peter, James, and John caught a glimpse of truly who Christ was upon that Mount of Transfiguration. But even then, they fully didn't understand who he was. He lived and died as God walking around, around men. Jesus, the God-man, walked with men. If we were there 2,000 years ago, we could have walked with Jesus physically. This morning, are you walking with him spiritually? There's coming a day when the whole world will know who Jesus is. When he returns in his glory, the Bible tells us even his enemies will know him. When he reigns in his glory, everyone will know. One day, the name of Jesus will be proclaimed from heaven and we'll be there with him. When that precious name is uttered, that name which shows love and adoration, we will bend our knees as saints. And we will with the angels worship the one true and the living God. We will get to be with this babe who was in a manger and, and this man who went to the cross. We will be with him. For he is our God. He is our Savior. We will bend our knee in recognition that Jesus is the God of all the earth. What a day that will be.
when we say his name in conclusion, when we sing his name, when we breathe his name, when we shout his name, when we whisper his name, we proclaim the greatest name that has ever been. The greatest name that has ever fallen upon the ears of all humanity. He is the Savior of the lost. He is the Shepherd of the sheep. He is the Redeemer of souls. He is the Blessed Bridegroom of the Bride. He is the Lover of men's souls. He is the Glory of Heaven. He is the one who we can call our trusted friend. He is the one true and loving God. That's Him. And in His precious name, the name of Jesus, there is so much more that we didn't even look at. There's hope. There's peace, there's love, there's salvation, blessing, healing, wonder, joy, glory, and majesty. If you even took one of them, man, what a bunch of sermons you'd have. What a lovely name the name of Jesus is. Even when we say the name of Jesus, hell itself trembles. Satan is defeated. Sin has been defeated through his lovely name. The lost are found. The spiritually blind see. The deaf can now hear. What a lovely name the name of Jesus truly is. Had that name drunkards are made sober. Addicts give up their addictions. The lost are saved and indeed new life begins. You see that name marks the difference between heaven and hell. Between life and death, between hope and despair, between sin and salvation, between judgment and forgiveness, and between the grace of God and condemnation. Praise God that that name of Jesus bridges the gap between God and man. It bridges the gap for us to go to heaven itself. It bridges the gap that we too can have salvation, for without Christ there is no hope. The last verse of that hymn says, What a lovely name, the name of Jesus, reaching higher, farer than the brightest star, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim. What a lovely name. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time that we have spent in your word. We do ask that you would help us to remember this lovely name of Christ truly for what it is. That Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. We plead with you this morning that you, dear Lord, would save sinners. That you would show them their need of having Christ as their Savior and Lord. We ask now as we take these elements off the table that as believers in Christ that we would be renewed in our faith this very day. Help us, dear Lord, in this time of the year when the world entraps us and comes around us to be that salt and that light that you have called us to be. Give us many opportunities with family and friends during this time to speak of the gospel. Give us the power that only you can give. Give us the unction that only you can give. Give us the courage to speak when we need to speak. Dear Lord, we do praise and thank you for this time when we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.